Sales, more well-established lesbian. Chapter 47 The problem with pretending is you start to believe your own lies. And let's be honest, getting drunk hasn't exactly been solving my problems, has it? The wonderful Murphy and I relived his divine intervention on Monday morning at work. I loved visiting Murphy's store. Not only did it have Murphy in it, but also there was a very good barber's in the car park. You could do your big shop and get your hair cut, the height of efficiency. As we ran through our weekends, Murphy refused to believe that Lily had been fresh as a daisy come Sunday morning. I said to him, she was more than fresh, mate. She'd already gone and done a workout and been for a run by the time I hauled myself out for breakfast. It was just one more moment when I was realising that maybe booze wasn't for me. Lily might be able to run it off. For me, if drinking equals running, then I'm sorry, but drinking is going. I bloody hate running. I really hate running. So as I took myself off for a little lunchtime freshen up to my fade, I pondered if maybe it was me who needed to calm things down a little bit. If maybe what I was doing wasn't actually helping. I popped back into the shop to show off my lovely new do to Murphy and I was ready to hit my next store except it turned out that Murphy had just too much supermarket gossip to relay to me for me to possibly put my biscuits down and not hear about the two warehouse lads who'd had a threesome with you on from checkouts. I rescheduled my week so that Murphy and I could also investigate the other checkout rumours that there was a chair with magic powers. This particular chair was responsible for a recent spate of checkout pregnancies. Now, two or three pregnancies at the same time is a coincidence, right? It's just a thing that happens. But eight, eight at once, that, that surely points to a magic chair. As you can tell, I'm really thriving at work, really pushing myself forward. But the lack of drive in the uh, supermarket was being made up for at home in my conservatory slash studio. I was selling pieces and taking commissions, keeping myself very busy and distracted at home. And then one of my store managers requests an enormous mural in his shop. All right, I say enormous, it's like eight foot, which when you're five foot something is enormous, frankly. This was the biggest canvas I had ever faced. This was gonna take some time and it was the perfect escape right now because Ash and I still hadn't really dealt with anything. We just buried it and carried on, which was weirdly easy to do. I guess that's 10 and a half years together for you, familiarity and all of that. Both of us make various efforts to get back to normal. I book us tickets for Team USA's game against London Brawling, a proper roller derby treat, one not to be missed. Ashley arranges a couple's dinner with Phoebe and Marco, and our favourite living room pastime, Singstar. If Ash and I have a thing, Singstar is it. Which, I'll be honest with you, had been a little unexpected for me. Singing, out loud, anywhere other than in my car, is a big no-no for me. I'm not saying being asked to leave the school choir had a lasting impact on my confidence when it comes to singing, Mrs. Peters, but, uh, you know, 
Anyway, turns out, Sing Star, I like it. Belting out songs as badly as I like in the privacy of my own living room, that I bloody love. It was actually a gift for Ashley. I just wanted to say thank you to her for buying me the PlayStation 3. And I figured Singstar was right up her street, what with her being a stage school brat and all that. I did have an ulterior motive when I bought Singstar though, if I'm being brutally honest. As it turns out that Ashley is ridiculously good at video games. Makes me look like a button smashing Neanderthal. So far she has beaten me on every game I own. In fact, there were certain parts of games that I had to get Ashley to do so that I could continue on. So I tried to distract her with PlayStation's answer to karaoke and I kind of fell in love with it myself. Singing and dancing are such good stress busters. A few drinks on a Friday night and just let off some steam by belting out an Adele classic. So Singstar has become our thing. And I love not worrying about how terrible my voice is as much as I love watching and hearing Ashley sing. But what I really, really love about Singstar is that I nearly always beat Ashley on it. If you joined us for our rendition of Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, for example, your ears would not believe what your eyes are seeing. Despite the terrible sounds you heard, I will have won. I might have sounded awful to you, but my blue bar will have stayed in that scoring zone the whole way. And yes, in fact, I am always the blue mic, unless you need me to prove that I'm not cheating. Then I'll beat you with the red microphone before we swap back. Turns out first person role playing shoot 'em up games, they are too hard for my tiny little mind. But using my voice as a controller, that I've got nailed. Something to add to my list of very useless talents. So Singstar has been something Ash and I have done together for years. And in fact, one of our songs was one we only discovered because of the game, Hooberstank's The Reason. In fact, mine and Paul's song have been on the Disney version. Our song was a whole new world and we nailed that beautifully. In fact, I think we could both do both parts. Such a talent. Over the years, we have dragged all of our friends into doing at least one song. Tonight, with Phoebe and Marco, we're reaching back to the good old days. But it's not the same. Everything sort of looks right. Like it seems right to the eye, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel the same to me. I can't put my finger on it. There's just this feeling sitting in my chest. Until I can find some words for it, to explain it, to unravel it, that's just where it's going to have to stay. So both Ashley and I continue to make an effort with each other, trying to overlook what's happened, push forwards. I leave her cute notes, like from back in the day, when the spray paint mess spreads from the conservatory into the dining room and encroaches ever so slightly in the living room. Ash, for her part, is taking more of an interest in what I'm up to. We're playing nice. Maybe we're faking it until we forget it. I mean, it might work. Like today, for example, is going pretty well. We actually had dinner together. Ash has got her feet up, just chilling in the lounge. I'm out spraying another coat onto a piece. It's just, you know, your standard Monday fare. It's getting pretty late, so I down tools and I join Ash on the sofa. 
she's lost in Farmville or Dyna Dash or some other productivity game. So I steal the remote and start flicking through the channels. I quite often plump for the news channel. I like the calm tones of newsreaders in the background while we're both on our phones. And then they're not just talking about NHS budgets and the upcoming elections. It's the breaking news graphic that catches my eye, big and red and white. And I sort of tune back into the television. There's been an explosion at the Manchester Arena at an Ariana Grande concert. There's a pause as a newsreader, and I'm sure all of us, take a moment just to consider who would have been at that gig. You already know in your heart of hearts that this could be really bad. And as it turned out, it was. The explosion was actually a suicide bomber and he had killed 22 concertgoers and parents who were waiting in the foyer to collect their children. A further 1,017 people were injured in the blast. The youngest victim was an eight-year-old girl. It was the deadliest attack since the 7-7 bombings in 2005. It's Mr Rogers, I think, who tells us that in times like this you should look for the helpers. Well, while there were many heroes on the night, it was a city full of people helping in the days after too, which was amazing to see. Manchester is a city with a hell of a spirit and they leaned on each other. The bumblebee, the busy, industrious bee, is a symbol of Manchester. And the tattoo community of the city began to offer bee tattoos to raise funds for the victims of the attack. It was a beautiful idea and it took off massively. There were queues out of the door and people who couldn't get tattooed for whatever reason were still donating anyway. Which got me thinking, maybe I could donate some art to some of those folks buy some art, support the fund. I didn't do a huge amount of stuff, but in times like this, doing something feels better than doing nothing in the face of such awfulness. Made me glad I was seeing my family the next weekend. It's the kind of news that makes you want to squeeze your loved ones a little tighter. Why was I seeing everybody next weekend? Because it was family wedding time. Yes, amazingly, some of my cousins are still unmarried. And this time it's the turn of one of my favourite younger cousins to walk down the aisle. His wife-to-be is a massive Disney fan, so our gift to them is a canvas of Mickey Mouse hands, making a little heart shape together alongside their wedding date. Gift sorted, it's time for the usual outfit saga. The suit I'd originally ordered had left the tailor with way too much work to do. It and three other suits went back from whence they came. Ashley, in the meantime, found the perfect dress. A little vintage number with the flared out skirt, petticoats and floral patterns. It was amazing. All she had left to do was to decide if victory rolls would be too much or not. I had to settle for the same old grey suit. I mean, if it works, it works, but... <sighs> a little accessory coordination with Ashley's dress and the job was a good one. It was back to Wales for the wedding. I stopped in for the night with my parents beforehand. I love getting ready to go out with my parents. Me mum's making bacon sandwiches and putting together a snack box for the day so no one starves while waiting for the wedding food. And the rest of us plan the shower schedule. My dad polishes up our shoes and everyone makes sure that no detail is missed. There's a lovely feeling as everyone gives everyone else the nod. 
we're all ready to face the world looking our best and feeling our best too. That's what days like today are about, the best bits and celebrating them. My cousin and his bride have picked a gorgeous venue, simple and elegant, everyone has scrubbed up nicely. The only blip in the day is the Welsh weather. Even in early June it's a grey and rainy morning. But by the time the photos take place, the skies have at least dried, even if they are still a little dull. But never mind, we'll be inside partying for the rest of the day, so who really cares? But first, lunches and speeches. This is always the fun bit of weddings. What table have you been assigned to? Over the years, we've been on the naughty table at the back, we've been on the kids' table, we've been on the friends' table, all sorts of tables that I've experienced in my time. But today, at this wedding, my cousin has kindly sat us with their couple friends. As the starter arrives, I choose Prosecco over wasting my time pushing food I don't like around my plate. Ashley has been on her best behaviour since we crossed the border into Wales. Little Miss Proper, minding her P's and Q's, acting like butter wouldn't melt. And for some reason, this is annoying the life out of me. Everything she's doing right now is irritating, especially when she sides with my parents about whatever it is that they decide they want to have a pop at me about. The whole drive from the hotel to the wedding, she's with them. And now, now we're sat at a table of engaged couples. Three other straight young couples. Conversation turns to what is next for each couple. And it comes down, quite simply, to house or wedding first. By the time the main course is well underway, the battle lines have been drawn across the table. It's four versus four, deadlock. And Ash and I weren't the only couple who were on different sides of these battle lines, who were stuck at this impasse. I'm team wedding, by the way. My logic, if we buy a house, there's never gonna be a wedding, right? All the spare money we have is always gonna go into the house. Should we have a wedding or get a new bathroom? Should we have a wedding or redo the kitchen? Should we have a wedding or fix that massive hole in the roof? Let's be honest, a wedding is never gonna come first. Even irresponsible little me wouldn't pick a wedding over home improvements. So my head, we do the wedding first. And it doesn't need to be massive. It doesn't need to be 30 grand's worth of wedding. Low key, low budget can still be good. And then, then we do the house thing. Ashley thinks we should do the exact opposite. Hence still being unmarried in a rented house. Dessert arrives and so does my other cousin who loves that he gets two of every course when I'm at a wedding with him. He makes off with my dessert, which is excellent because now I have space for the ice bucket with my own personal bottle of Prosecco in it. My three courses have been entirely liquid. And to be honest with you, I am ready for somebody to get this party started. We're escorted out into the courtyard and entertained until the dance floor is ready for us. I have drunk my way past all of that adulting talk of houses and weddings. Now I'm all about dabbing with my cousin's son. We've even squeezed in a couple of knee slides before they open the ballroom back up. I'm like a 10 year old at a school disco who's had way too much sugar. The party 
kicks off proper and I am tearing up the dance floor with anyone who will dance with me. I'm not thinking, I'm just dancing, doing nobody any harm. Didn't even drop that lady when I dipped her during our faux ballroom routine. I'm lively, I'm not Larry. Yeah. But dancing is such thirsty work. The next couple of glasses of bubbles go down too quickly, a little too easily. My mum catches hold of me. She is very glad that I am having a lovely time, but um, maybe I should eat something. Ah, bugger. She spotted that I swapped my chicken for a chilled bottle of Prosecco. Chips, she says. How about we get you some chips? I appreciate her, but I reassure her I'm not that drunk. And chips? Chips are not required right now. I make a break for it and I resume my arse shaking on the dance floor. From here, it starts to get a little blurry. Bugger, I am drunk, I think, as I get a bit messy on the dance floor, tripping over myself a little bit. Maybe it's time to be a sit-down drinker. My mum collars me as I try and sneak out of the ballroom. She's more than a little concerned now and is insisting I eat some chips. All I can think is, hey, I really don't want bloody chips right now. I hate eating when I'm drunk. And B, she's only doing this because she's worried I'm going to embarrass her. And as far as I can tell, the only person who's ever embarrassed by me is her. Thankfully, all I actually say is that I don't want the bloody chips. And I turn to walk away. My mum grabs my wrist and pulls me back towards her. In a very low, serious, she means business sort of voice through gritted teeth, she tells me I better eat something, drink some water and get my act together. Her chastising me like this is infuriating. And I pull away from her and just mutter, fine. She uses my first name in a way only your mother can. And I stop in the doorway. I turn and look at my mum and I give her the finger. Mm-hmm, the finger, the middle finger. I, who have rarely, if ever, answered my parents back, have just told my mum to fuck off with a hand gesture. Holy shit, I just flipped my mother the bird. I can't think about that right now. My irritation and my frustration starts to collide with the alcohol and I keep moving. Ashley comes after me and one minute I'm inside with my mum and now Ash and I are in the courtyard. And her goody little two-shoes routine is pissing me right off. We've gone from lively to Larry and I'm getting loud. So we take the conversation across the road to the car park and it all starts to come out of me now all the questions all the accusations all the statements everything that I haven't been saying is trying to get out of me at once I hear the rage behind my words and I throw it all at Ashley she doesn't engage just bounces off her she stands there cold and unflinching and I want to grab her arms and shake her until she reacts I want her to scream back at me. I want us to fight or row or shout our way through this. It's not just about Gucci and all that's gone on there. Everything is coming out. Every grievance, every resentment from days and weeks and years gone by. The bottle is well and truly open and there is no way of putting the cork back in. No matter how I rail against her though, 
Ashley doesn't react, doesn't flinch, doesn't blink. I'm so angry, I don't even know what I'm doing and I'm sure at points she tries to talk me back into the wedding. It feels like she is not hearing me. My parents come out and try to intervene and I can't be dealing with it. I find myself crouched down against the car wondering if I've finally gone mad. Look at Ashley, pretending to be so together, so perfect. And my parents seem to be falling for it. I'm the mad one. I'm the problem here. And the next thing I know, I'm sat in the back of my parents' car, waiting to be driven home like some naughty child. Oh, fuck this. I get out and I start walking. And the anger in me makes walking a breeze. I don't consider which direction I'm going in. I just walk. It's a really smart idea if you think about it, walking down country lanes at night in a dark grey suit. I'm just asking to get run over. There must be some sense in me somewhere and so I start to head towards some lights. I find myself on a dual carriageway. The crash barrier provides a little reassurance and separation from the traffic as well as support for my drunken weaving. My anger is subsiding and my steps start to slow as the sadness takes over. I can't lift another foot and so I just lie back on the grassy banks next to this dual carriageway for a bit and listen to the cars speeding past. What the fucking hell am I doing? What the bloody hell am I gonna do? And those two questions just loom over me, staring into the dark sky. As I try and answer them I realise that that is much harder to do than just walking. So I get back to my feet and continue. Eventually, a McDonald's appears like a weird mirage on the horizon and I head towards it. I manage to get the staff to call me a taxi and while we're waiting for it, we deduce which one of the local hotels I might possibly be staying in based on the snippets of information I can actually remember. A horn honks from outside. I thank the McDonald's folks for their help and their offer of chips. I declined those too, by the way. The taxi turns out to be a 15-seater bright red minibus. I climb in the front and the driver wants to play 20 questions about why somebody would need a taxi from a place that you can only get to by car. Once we're both sure we're talking about the same hotel, I'll let him resume his questioning. I don't answer a single one of them. I'm still wondering what the hell happens next. There is, thankfully, a very helpful person on the front desk when I get to the hotel, which is handy as I have no idea what room I'm in, let alone where the room key is. I get into the hotel room and Ashley is already there, tucked up in bed, without a care in the world, it seems to me. And all of a sudden, I am as angry as can be all over again. So, I make a right song and dance about getting ready for bed, sort of flinging clothes all over the place. I know I'm being a complete dickhead, but apparently I don't care. I just want some kind of reaction from Ashley, and I get one. It escalates until Ashley throws me out of the hotel room. And just like that, I don't want to stay and fight with someone who's completely shut down to me. I throw what I can see of mine into a bag and I head out of the hotel. I plonk myself down on a bench out the front and consider my options. 
honestly, I can't think straight. I can't think what to do. And so I go into autopilot and I call my parents. Turns out they're about halfway home. And yet they agree to turn around, come back and pick me up. Drunk or not, when they arrive, I know I'm in the shit with them. Big time. My mum is livid. And as if being drunk in the backseat wasn't bad enough, I get quite literally the mother of all lectures. It's theme, disappointment. And the worst thing, I can't even argue with her. Not that I would, even if I had disagreed with her points. I don't have a death wish, despite what the evening's behaviour might lead you to believe. Cracking one eye open slowly, I try to make sense of the fact that these bed sheets smell very familiar. My brain's trying to work it all out. It's definitely morning. Everything hurts and I appear to be in the spare room at my parents' house, alone. This is not where I was supposed to be this morning and somebody out in my parents' house is making a right racket. I suspect I might deserve that. I sit up and my head is spinning and it doesn't get any better as bits of yesterday start to come back to me. I am here in Cardiff and Ashley and my lift home are an hour away and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure that is still my lift home. But first, there's just a small matter of facing my parents to deal with. Okay, I say parents. I'm facing my mum. Who, as I think back to yesterday, was just trying to help. I swear, one of these days I'm actually going to listen to her. One day, it'll happen. But right now what I need to do is apologise. I'd also really like a cigarette and I'd really like to know what the hell Ashley is up to. After my sheepish apology to my parents, Honestly, I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to look my mum in the eye again. I step out into the garden and call Ash. It's a very short and tense conversation. Ashley agrees to drive to my parents' house and then we'll talk. Take it from there. Standing in the shower, I replay what I can remember of the night before. Where I can't recall my words, I can recall my feelings. It's like I'm bruised on the inside. My own behaviour is my biggest concern. I'm exhausted today and that's from the rage. I knew I wasn't happy but I had no idea that all of that was burning inside of me. I can feel the effects of those moments where the rage gave way to tears and I sobbed uncontrollably, gasping for breath, trying not to drown in the sadness of the moment. The shame of the way I behaved towards my mum is probably going to live with me forever. But crossing that line with my mum felt like a huge warning had gone off. Triggered some sort of silent alarm. There were red lights flashing. But even as Ashley pulled up on the driveway, I didn't know what I was going to do or say. But what I do know is that we are not having this conversation in listening distance of my parents. We agreed to walk and talk. I don't think it's ever been so strange between us. Something huge has shifted and we can both feel it. Small talk gets us to a park. We take a seat on a bench. Deep breaths all round. There are apologies on both sides, but 
I've got to be honest with her. And if there's ever a moment for it, now is the time. Words unusually do not come easily. And I can't look at Ash as I try to talk. I tell her I'm not okay. I'm not okay with us. I'm not okay with where we are. And I'm not okay with my behaviour last night. We both know I can be a dickhead. But last night, last night was something else. It felt like something broke in me, I told her. I turned my head to look at her. And her face says she knows where I'm going with this. I don't actually have a solution or an answer though right now. And I tell Ashley that. But I do think we need to take a break. What do the straights call it? A trial separation? That's it. That's what we agree to do. Ten and a half years. And here I am, in a park, in my hometown, separating from the love of my life. I can't quite believe it when I hear myself say it. Ashley looks like she was expecting it, and yet, like she can't quite believe it either. We just sit in silence for a moment. And of course, it is a beautiful day. The brightest blue sky, clear of clouds, the wind barely making it above a whisper. The world has gone oddly still. The dog walkers and their four-legged companions seem to have vanished from the park. Nobody dare speak. Nobody dare move. Like we're afraid a bomb will go off. But it already has. The shockwaves are going to come, but right now we can't feel them. With the bomb dropped, it's onto the practical. This is no time for knee-jerk reactions. We'll drive home together, move into separate rooms, and give ourselves time to figure out what's next. Have you ever been in the kitchen with your parents and your freshly separated ex? Because I'll tell you, that is some top-level orcs. I explain that we're leaving and heading home and it's all thanks for your hospitality. You know, British manners at their finest. I take my mum aside and briefly explain what's going on and I apologise at least 14 more times. I know she's worried about me, but I also know that right now she'd probably like to see the back of me and I can't blame her. I'm still going to be mortified by my behaviour in, say, oh, I don't know, five years' time. Ashley could have driven us home in a DeLorean and it still would have been the longest journey ever. As it was, it was actually four and a half painful hours that crawled by. Ash didn't take her eyes off the road once. Not even when she knew I was looking at her. Four and a half hours is a lot of time to do nothing but think. You've probably clocked that I haven't mentioned Natalie since before Gucci's demise. It had been one thing, flirting and propping up my ego before. But even as angry as I was with Ash, I couldn't carry on like that when it all went down. Natalie had understood I'd needed to focus on things at home, as awful as they bloody were. And she'd been there with kind words the day after Gucci died and then we'd just let things be. In amongst the many, many thoughts I was having on our drive home, Natalie was but a brief one, dismissed as quickly as she popped in. Things were complicated enough right now. But the fleeting thought of her put my mind back onto what I was going to do if this trial became permanent. I'd have to find somewhere to live. Oh God, I am not going home to my parents. Even if I can only afford someone's box room to live in, that'll do. 
Ashley hits her comfort zone of the M25 and M1 and her speed picks up. Staring out of the window, I imagine a little me with Sonic the Hedgehog-like running skills racing alongside us in the car, running on power lines or head shops. Some childhood time killers still work really well. I mean, what else is there to do as a passenger? A passenger? It's a thought that sits me right up, and I watch Ashley weave in and out of the middle and outside lanes. I have been a passenger in Ashley's life. She's been driving ever faster and not always in control in one direction of her choosing. I chose to get in her car. I chose to stay in her car each time Ashley had to recalculate her route. I'd reveled in my role as a passenger, thinking of myself as a co-pilot, but it was becoming clear that I wasn't a co-navigator. All I was good for was opening the drinks and passing them across, making sure that her snacks were accessible. And Ashley had long since stopped appreciating my contributions. After all, they didn't pay for the fuel in the tank. And the longer we drove, the more it mattered who paid for that fuel. If you didn't pay it, then it turns out you don't get a say in the route planning. And until now, it had seemed easier to just stay in the car. Ashley hadn't wanted to pull over, but I think she knew I'd just get out now, whether she stopped or not. So the separation felt a bit like Ashley was finally pulling over and letting me out to stretch my legs. And when we got home and I was stretching my legs for real, I had to wonder, was this the right thing to do? Three days, we'd only been away for three days, but we'd come back completely different. As I unloaded the car, I realized I was really, really starting to hate this house. One piece of the practicalities we'd agreed in the park was that we'd move into separate bedrooms, which would have required a lot more effort on our part if we weren't already heading down that path. The guest bedroom had become Ashley's dressing room slash closet some time ago. It had actually started as a lovely thing. A way for Ashley to get ready in the mornings without disturbing me, but also to save her from trying to creep around in the dark. Meaning I didn't have to be awake two hours earlier than I needed to be. But it had also become Ashley's little playroom where she regularly retreated after I failed to meet her demands in the bedroom. So in no time at all, Ashley had set herself up in the guest bedroom. I mean, after all, she's got work tomorrow and she can't be letting a little thing like our entire relationship imploding get in the way. Meanwhile, I sit. I sit in my spot in the conservatory, smoking and thinking. On the one hand, I kind of feel better. I mean, better's not the right word, but it's the only word I've got. I mean, I'm not saying I love how I behaved last night, but I do kind of love that it's out there now. Holding my tongue is not a talent of mine, so I'm somewhat relieved. Then there's the other hand, where I know I've set something into motion without a clue where it's gonna take us. I have nothing in my playbook to help me navigate this. And I don't even know what I want the outcome to be. All right, let's say this trial separation shocks Ashley into making some changes. Like, what do I actually need from her? What do I expect from her? What do I want? What shows that she's changed? Let's say that Ashley calls my bluff and makes no changes, no effort. Am I really willing to walk away? Can I pull the plug on this life and start again? Is that even viable, possible for me to stand on my own two feet in this world? To answer to no one but myself, to depend on no one but myself. 
okay i say myself but maybe just my parents too you know but like only in times of absolute crisis if i really really have to how do i stay open to the possibility of repairing our relationship while simultaneously preparing to walk away from it all suddenly i'm aware of the red sky outside and the summer sun dips below the housetops and all the world looks like it's on fire and i've got to be honest like feels like it too the sky darkens and I look through the patio doors of my life. It's a beautiful home, there's no doubt about it. And there's a beautiful woman on the sofa, no doubt about that. It's a show life, picture perfect. Ticks so many boxes. I know people that would kill for the life I am blowing apart right now. And suddenly I don't want this home to burn with the rest of the sky. I want to take my hand away from the big red button that it's hovering over. Maybe it can be saved. Maybe love is enough. Or maybe I'm just terrified of failing, of being alone. Is something better than nothing? With fear comes doubt, hesitation and insecurity. What makes me think I deserve better than what I currently have? What makes me think that there is something better out there? Why do I believe that the grass might be greener over there? I watch Ashley uncurl herself from the little ball she'd been wrapped up in on the sofa and head to bed. She catches me watching as she looks out at me. Ashley gives me a nod on that sad half smile, turns and goes to bed. My stomach churns and my chest tightens. I have no idea what I am doing. Elbows on knees, head in hands and the tears are dropping onto my glasses. Once I realise I can't stop them from falling, I just let them go. I let them go until I have no tears left, until my breathing slows and calms. Emptiness settles in me and honestly it's kind of a relief. Numb would have been my choice but empty will have to do. Now all I've got to do is peel myself out of this chair and take myself to bed. Where Ashley will not be. The door to the guest bedroom is directly opposite the top of the stairs. And my feet won't take me past it. I slide down the wall and sit on the step just below the top, listening for the sounds of Ashley in there. The light's on, but it's silent. I can't work out why I want to knock on her door and have her comfort me and hold me and tell me that it's all going to be okay. I mean, it's not like I believe her anyway, even if she said it. And yet that's exactly what I want right now, to fall apart in her arms and for Ashley to make it all okay. That little voice pipes up in my head. She can't fix what she broke. I don't know if I can believe that voice either. Maybe I'll know what to do in the morning. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. That's all I got right now. Oh, hello, you again. How's it going? I hope you'll survive in January the best you can. I can't believe that the first anniversary of the show is fast approaching. And what a year it has been. Over 15,000 listens across 71 countries. Those stats just blow my mind. So a massive thank you to each and every one of you for making it happen. And don't forget to leave a review or a rating wherever you listen. It really does help other folks to find the show. Last, but by no means least, please consider donating or subscribing to keep the show ad-free. For example, £1 a month would mean that each chapter is just 25p. I mean, that's cheaper than a Freddo. You can't say fairer than that. 
head over to kofi.com that's ko-fi.com forward slash or well-established lesbian to donate or subscribe now you can also follow me the well-established lesbian on facebook and insta or join the community of listeners over on reddit find us in the subreddit r slash t-o-a-w-e-l i'll be back next week with another chapter so thanks as always for the privilege of your time and i hope whatever you're doing you have a great week take care of you